1: Jacob here does something so fascinating. He doesn't give him any material blessings. He does eventually. But where does he start off with? He talks about his relationship with God. See, his first concern for his grandsons is their
0: spiritual well being. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. We have seen God's continual work and plan unfold in ages of history. God, having created the universe and everything in it, made man to have a relationship with himself. Man sinned and could no longer stand in the presence of God. But God had a plan. He had been working in the lives of one particular family, the family of Abraham. Last we saw Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, was second in command over Egypt the strongest nation during the time. God used Joseph to save thousands of lives during a famine, including the lives of Jacob and Joseph's brothers. Now, Jacob knows he is soon to die. Here we pick up with Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 48, verse 1.
1: Well, we are nearing the end. Love Genesis. Jacob is nearing the end of his life. He's at the end of his life now. We've seen him trust the Lord by leaving the Promised Land to enter Egypt. We've seen him reunited with Joseph and enjoying seventeen years of peace in his heart as he's seen his family mended. And it would seem like the perfect time to ride off into the sunset, kind of be like, "Okay, God, this is better than I could ever imagine." It let's just go. And yet God does never call us to ride off into the sunset because we're Americans. You know, so we think of this idea where you work hard and then you retire, right? And then you kind of just, you know, enjoy life. No responsibilities. I'm just going to enjoy life. And, and God really doesn't have that type of a retirement plan. There's always things that he has for us to do. If we're still breathing, he still has tasks for us. And he calls us to finish the task that he set before us until we breathe our very last. When someone was interviewing Pastor Chuck at the end of his life and they said to him, what, what's it been like at the end of your life? And he said, it's been the hardest time of my life. He said, I've, I've had more attacks from the enemy than I've ever had in my life. He said, I've had more challenges and controversies than I've ever had in my life. He said, but we still trust the Lord. And that's the truth for us as well. Jacob isn't done yet. He's still breathing, so he's not done yet. And like Abraham and Isaac before him, he has something he needs to pass on to his kids, his covenant relationship with God. And so as we see Jacob begin his final task, may it remind us of our responsibility to pass on our faith to the next generation as well. So Genesis 48 verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, Your father is sick. The word there means to become weak or faint. He had been sick already. The word here means that death is close. And so as he gets this word, he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, behold, your son Joseph comes unto you. So Israel gathered his strength. He strengthened himself and he sat upon his bed. After Jacob makes burial arrangements with his son, make sure you don't bury me here in Egypt. Bear me back in the only land I own, back in, in the promised land. We don't know how soon after, except that it's in the same year, that this is the last year of Jacob's life. And in this same year, at some point in time, could have been weeks, could be months, that word comes to Joseph that your father is dying. And so he gathers his sons because he wants them to receive a final blessing from his father. And when Israel, it says, one told Jacob, behold, your son comes unto you. Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. I think it's interesting it calls him that when he's there, he's dying, and he gathers his strength to sit up in bed and to to speak these words to his sons. He begins with Joseph and his sons, but 49 is going to continue. He's gonna summon all of his children and he will speak to them as well. And I believe it calls him Israel here because he's about to execute his duties as the holder of the covenant that was passed from Abraham to Isaac and to him. Now it's his job to pass it on to his sons. Much of his life, Jacob could have cared less about those things. But at this point, he knows he's got a job, he's got to finish. Now, before he summons all of his kids, though, he has a special blessing for Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And this event here in 48, it kind of baffled me when I read through it. I thought, Lord, why is this even here? But you know, it's so important that the writer of Hebrews picks it as Jacob's great act of faith. So maybe there is a reason why God put it here. So verse 3, Jacob, he sits up in bed. Joseph and his sons are there. And he says unto Joseph, he speaks to Joseph first. And he says to him, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And he said unto me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people, and will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons... Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto you in the land of Egypt, before I came unto you into Egypt, they are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And your issue, which you shall beget after them, shall be yours. And they shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me, or literally in my arms. She died in my arms in the land of Canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. So I buried her there on the, on the roadside of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. Jacob is looking over his life and he looks at Joseph and he says to him, he says, listen, I need to share something with you. We don't know if Jacob had ever shared any of this with his sons, but this is a different Jacob from the one who tried to steal the blessing from Esau. This is a Jacob who's embraced his role as the covenant holder. And in relaying this covenant to Joseph, he's declaring the importance of their family and God's faithfulness to his promise. He says to him, God Almighty appeared unto me in the land of Luz, in the land of Canaan, that's Bethel. And he blessed me there and he said unto me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a great multitude of people, and will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. It's interesting. God just came to him, and he said, this this is what I'm going to do. These were the things that God would do, not Jacob. It wasn't his responsibility to take the land or anything. God just says, I'm going to give it to you. In fact, God did all these things oftentimes in spite of Jacob, because Jacob was doing his own thing. God did indeed bless Jacob and make him a multitude of people, but there's more He says, I'm going to give you this land to your seed after you, your descendants after you, for an everlasting possession. God's promise of blessing was directly tied to the land God promised them. So Joseph is hearing now why his dad made it so important to say, you're going to bury me, make a promise to me, swear it, that you will bury me in the land of my forefathers, in the promised land. Because God gave them that land forever god's covenant with abraham isaac and jacob is one that will last as long as that land exists as long as that plot of land is there his covenant with them exists because it is an unconditional promise you may have heard people say well but israel is unfaithful and god took it away no that is not true he took them out of the land but the land was always his and he gave it to them This is why the land will always belong to Israel, even when they're unfaithful, even though they're unfaithful. You look at Israel as a nation now, and as a nation, they're there in unbelief. They don't accept their Messiah yet as a whole. Obviously, there are Jewish people within Israel who have, but not as a nation, but it's still theirs. It's their property forever. And this is why the Bible says, woe to those who make Israel give up or divide their land, because God gave it to them. Jacob, in quoting all of this story to to Joseph, he shares pretty much verbatim what God said to him in, in Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12, with one exception. He leaves out the part where God promised Jacob that kings would come from his descendants. Why did he leave that part out? Well, some have mistaken this chapter to say that Jacob gave the covenant blessing to Joseph. That is not true. Jacob is going to give that to Judah. Jacob gives something different to Joseph. He gives the birthright to him the double blessing. Remember Jacob, he took two things from Esau, right? He took the birthright and he took his father's blessing. Those are two distinct things. The birthright would be the double portion, but the blessing was the covenant promise from God. Jacob does not give that to Joseph. Therefore, he leaves a part about kings out because the kings are going to come through who? Judah, right? That's where the Messiah is going to come from. David uh, Through the, David's kingly line, the Messiah will come. So the covenant blessing goes to Judah. The birthright goes to Joseph. And so Jacob, he goes on and explains. This is how he gives the birthright. Verse five. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto you in the land of Egypt before I came unto you in Egypt, they are mine. Now that would make me a little uncomfortable. You know, if all of a sudden grandpa came into the house and said, son, I have something to tell you. Your two oldest boys, they're now mine. That'd be a little weird. But what he's conveying to Joseph is something Joseph could have never imagined. Something amazing. He elevates them to son status. So whatever Jacob is going to pass on to his children, they get an equal portion as any son. So in a sense, Joseph is getting the double blessing, right? Two portions. Because through his two sons, they will each get an individual portion. Jacob here, he says to them, "You know, I am going to bless you with a double blessing by elevating your sons to the same status as all of your brothers'. And if you have any other kids after that, verse 6, and your issue which you shall beget after them, you have any other kids after that, well, they're going to have to pick which, which brother to, to align with, Manasseh or Ephraim, he said. They'll be yours, but they're going to have to pick which brother they'll align with. Some throughout the history remained separate, though, and became a small tribe. So when we read throughout Israel's history, you'll hear about the tribe of Joseph. They decided we don't like either brother, we're going to be on our own. I'm not sure what the reasoning for that was, but Generally speaking, most of them went with Manasseh and went with Ephraim. When we get to verse 7, it feels a little bit out of place. He says, This is what I'm going to do for you. As for me, and he looks back, he's probably thinking of his own death, and he thinks of that moment when the woman he loved died in his arms in the land of Canaan in the way. As for me, that's where I'm headed as well. And I wonder if Jacob is thinking, I wish that Rachel could see me now. Jacob had made a lot of mistakes. He had four women fighting for him, and while most men might think that's a good thing, it wasn't exactly so for him. He saw probably all the pain he caused them by not putting a stop to the competition, by not allowing these other women to get elevated to wife status so they could compete with him for his love and affection with more kids. All the women had fought so hard to win his heart, but Rachel already had it. I think she, he thinks if she could see his treatment of Joseph now, she would see that. But maybe it wouldn't have caused so much pain. But in verse 8, he sees the boys, and they're grown men now, they're young men. And he returns back to the present in verse 8, and he asks them, he says to Joseph, who are these? Now, it mentions later on that his eyes were dim. He could not see very well. These would be young men in their late teens or early 20s by this time. His eyes are bad, so he asks who they are. It's also possible that Jacob had never met them prior to this, although that would seem weird to me. I would think if I was Joseph and I was reunited with my father, one of the first things I would want to do is introduce my kids. When Joseph reveals their identity, Jacob invites them closer so he can bless them. So Jacob said unto his, Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given, given me in this place. And so Jacob said, Bring them, I pray you, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. And the word there dim for age means there's a lot of years on his eyes. They weren't working like they normally would. And he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them. Jacob, Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. And lo, God has showed me also your seed. Jacob was a man who lived a hard life a lot of failures. Jacob could have complained about all those lost years. I wish I was there for their birth. I wish I was there to see them grow up. But he chose rather to thank God for something he never expected to see. Joseph's children, the son he thought was dead. i want to ask you a question tonight. Have you taken the time to enumerate the blessings that God has given you rather than complain about the things you don't have? It's good to stop and take stock Because sometimes we look at the things that are not good or not right or not the way we want them to be and we kind of get bogged down in them, don't we? We only see that mountain, that massive mountain. He says, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you say, be thou removed. Be able to look past it and see all the other things that God is doing. Jacob is so thankful. So verse 12, Joseph presents his sons for blessing. Joseph brought them out from between his knees. It's Jacob, Jacob who is embracing them. And Joseph, you know, he wants to make this a very formal moment. And so it says here that he takes him out from between his knees where he's holding on to them and kissing them and embracing them. And he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand. So Jacob's here and Ephraim's going to go in the right hand. And then Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And he brought them near unto him. So then Israel stretched forth his right hand, and he put it upon Ephraim, and he stre- who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly or knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph sets it up where Manasseh's going to get the blessing, the big blessing, and you know Ephraim will get the smaller blessing. And Jacob, he's like, all right, but <laughs> he goes to pray for him, <laughs> to bless him. He switches it up, he crosses it up knowingly. Hebrews 11.21 lists this action as one of the great acts of faith in Jacob's life. Now, on the one hand, you could look at that and go, wow, <laughs> Jacob had a pretty crummy spiritual legacy. If this is the best thing the writer could bring up about him, you know, he knows how to switcheroo his hands. Great. But God doesn't put it in a negative light in Hebrews. He picks this as one of the things to highlight from Jacob's strong finish in his life. Why? We have a sense all throughout this ending scenario before Jacob passes that Jacob did what his father didn't do. Where Isaac had heard from God the influence of cultural norms and his own desires got in the way. And so he tried to bless Esau. That was Saul's problem too, King Saul. remember, Remember Jonathan is trying to prop David up and convince dad that David's not a bad guy. And finally, you know, Saul rounds on his son. He's like, what is wrong with you? You don't realize I'm trying to build the kingdom for you so I can give it to you someday, and you're going to let this guy rob it from you? See, Saul assumed that since God had made him king, well, the kingship should continue in my bloodline, just like every other kingdom, and I'll fight to the death for it. But see, God wanted the best man for the job, not just the bloodline. Jacob understood this, and he submitted to God's plan, even though he knew it might upset Joseph. And so As he crosses his hands, he actually addresses Joseph first as he's about to pronounce a blessing, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph. And he said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, and the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob here does something so fascinating because his first concern for his grandsons, he doesn't give them any material blessings. He does eventually. But where does he start off with? He talks about his relationship with God. See, his first concern for his grandsons is their spiritual well-being. See, he wants them to be spared from the mistakes of his life. He explains, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, they had a relationship with him. The God who took care of me all life long unto this day. I wasn't always doing things his way, but he always took care of me. And he explains, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. The one who rescued me and removed me from danger, the Lord just bless these guys. Now let me ask you a question. What parent or grandparent doesn't want that? To have your kids walk with the Lord, to be protected from danger, and to be blessed? Listen, if you're a parent, pray for your kids. <laughs> Pray for your grandkids if you're a grandparent and never give up. Never, ever throw in the towel on them. You might look at them and you might think to yourself, there's just no way. They're just downhill, downhill, downhill. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. You say, but well, you know I don't even know how to pray for them. They just made a mess of their life. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. How do I pray for them? Well, the same four things that, or five things that Jacob prayed for his grandkids here. Number one, pray that they would see the importance of a relationship with God. Pray that for them. Lord, help them to see that it's important to have a relationship with you. He says the very first thing, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. He starts off there. Then secondly, pray that they would acknowledge God as the source of their provision, that he's the one that takes care of them, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Thirdly, pray that they would understand God's mercy toward them. Jacob says, the God, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Most of that evil he experienced was self-inflicted. Pray that they would understand God's mercy toward them. And then he says, bless the lads. Pray just simply this. God, bless my kids. There's sometimes when I just pray for them, that's what I pray. I said, God, just bless them. Just bless them, Lord. They need you to be involved in their lives. And then he says this, something else I find interesting. He says, let the name, my name, be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Pray that they would see your relationship with God and want the same. Now, that last prayer means you have to have a good one, right? <laughs> it means you have to walk with the Lord so that they can see it. And they would look at that and go, I want that. You know, my number one fear is that my kids would see my shortcomings and think that this Christianity thing doesn't work. That's my biggest fear. How many times I've i looked at myself in the mirror and I've been on the edge of doing something stupid or making some bad decision or thinking of giving up or quitting. And I thought, I don't want to pass that on to my kids. I don't want them to see that dad gave up or that it didn't work or that he couldn't keep fighting. Pray that they would see a relationship with God and they would want the same. In this blessing, Jacob acknowledges what he didn't in his youth. (laughs) He acknowledges that he didn't have these things. Some of us can't lead a full life of faith because we can't get those years back. We're not young anymore. But I want to talk to you who are a little bit younger today. For those of you who are, you don't have to make the same mistakes that some of us did. Jacob finished very well, but his prayer is that his grandkids would start and finish well. And if you're younger today, start now. I've talked to a lot of people who said, yeah, I I believe all this stuff, but I'll I'll get into that more, you know, someday when I get married and I settle down, I've got my career and I've had my fun. Listen, I'm not saying you can't have fun, but certain types of fun always come with a price tag. And someone told me once, they said this, you have to pay now or pay later. I've always found it's more advantageous to pay now. Then I don't have to pay later. Well, Joseph does not like this. He sees the switcheroo and he says, hold up a minute. When Joseph saw that his father, verse 17, laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. Now, doesn't mean he was angry. It just, the word there displeased means to be evil or wrong in someone's eyes. He, He was a mistake. You know, he wasn't upset at his father. He just saw it as an error, a wrongdoing. The oldest should get the blessing. That's how we do things. And so he interrupts his father. It says he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and to put it onto Manasseh's head. You know, dad's getting old. He's probably a little seen. I can't see him anyway. He's he probably got it mixed up. So he's going to quietly just kind of move the hands while dad doesn't notice. And so as he goes, the word there hold, held up means to take hold or grasp. As he grasps his hand, Joseph, and he says unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put your hand upon his head. <laughs> You know, Jacob may have bowed to Joseph in the last chapter, but he has no bowing going on here. This was his spiritual duty, and he was determined as he had done whether Joseph liked it or not. And so his father refused. I like, you know what it means? It means he resisted. You know, so you got this older gentleman, you know, and here's Joseph, and he's trying to move the hand around, and and Jacob's like, "Uh, no, no. Yeah, and then when Joseph explains, Jacob says, he refuses, and he says to him, I know it, My son. I know it. I've not lost my mind. I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. And what I'm doing goes beyond what culture demands or what even your wishes might be for me, Joseph. The Lord has a different plan. How often is that the case in our lives? (laughs) The Lord has a different plan. We think the best thing is to follow a certain path, but God has something totally different planned for us. You know, Jacob explains to him, he says, listen, I know it, my son, I know it but you leave my hands right where they are. He also shall become a people, Manasseh, and he shall also be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, in thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And so he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Now, Manasseh had a greater population at the beginning of Israel's entering into the promised land. They also were given more land when the lots were determined and they were apportioned what land they would be in. But Ephraim throughout Israel's history had way more influence. And even though the capital of the northern kingdom was located in the tribe of Manasseh, that kingdom became known not as Manasseh. But the synonym for Israel became Ephraim. In fact, oftentimes you'll see in the scripture when God is dealing with the northern kingdom, he doesn't even call them Israel, he calls them Ephraim. He calls them Joseph. And so we see here that God gave the preeminence to Ephraim. Jeremiah 31, nine it talks about this exact thing in Israel's history. When he is addressing the nation, he says, They will come with weeping and with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. That's how God saw it. Now, Ephraim's not the first one to pop out, okay? He was the second one. So why does God call him the firstborn? And why is this reversal so important? It's not the first time we've seen this reversal. The reason is, is because firstborn in the Bible and its blessings have nothing to do with birth order. That's how our culture sees things. It has to do with which child has the preeminence. I remember I I had a family once that was asking for counsel. They said, listen, we've got three kids, we want to leave the bulk of the inheritance to our oldest, but you know, and give some to the others as well. But our oldest is a, hes hes irresponsible. He, he's made a mess of his life. He's—he's—he's he's, he's a wastrel. And I said, "Don't give him a dime." Then you're going to tell me all the things that God blessed you with, that God and you were faithful with. Now you're just going to turn it over to someone who's going to use it for his own flesh. Don't give him a dime. And he looked at me like, oh, how could you say such a thing? We don't operate by these same principles. Well, we have to give everybody the same thing because, you know, you know, we want to want to make him feel bad. Well, maybe he will feel bad. Maybe come to his senses. In the Bible, it has to do with the child that has the preeminence, not the one who's born actually first.
0: It is so important to pour into the next generation, not just telling them how they should live life, but showing them through our personal example and praying for them. We will not be on this earth forever. Let's leave a legacy of people that put God first and desire to see God's work done His way. Should you have any questions or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.